0: Second Timothy chapter three, verse ten. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Let us pray. Almighty God, thank you for your word this morning and I ask that you now take your word and grant us understanding. I ask that you take your word and give us passion. I ask that you take your word and rebuke us, correct us, train us. Comfort us, encourage us in righteousness. God, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sure in the past week you've been tempted or you've actually taken the time to sit down and write down, I resolve to dot, 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 dot. It's that time of year when we look ahead and we make some resolutions, we make some desired proclamations of changes that we want to make in the coming year. One time of year when change is popular. People actually want to change during this time of year. This is when people believe that change is necessary. And the reason they think change is necessary or they want to change is usually because they've been looking back. And looking back, they may be seeing something that they don't like or they experience something that they don't like. They maybe see a pattern in their life that they would like to see changed in the coming year. So, therefore, you make a New Year's resolution. You want to change, you want to start a new habit habit, or get a new pattern going on in your life. This morning, God's Word is really challenging us to look at the patterns in our life and ask ourselves the question, does the pattern in my life reflect the desire of God for my life? Does the pattern in my life reflect the desire of God for my life? This morning's going to be a little bit different. I'm um, going to kind of take a couple of rabbit trails and focus on some practical things. The goal this morning is kind of for us to take a breather for a second and kind of get back to a little bit of our foundation. At the same time as getting back to our foundation, try and help each of us personally think about how can I pursue implementing the desires of God for my life into my life. I would contend this morning that if we took a vote, the majority of us would say, I want to see the desires of God active in my life. I'm just going to assume for a moment that the majority of us are in that position where we want what God wants for our lives. Well, this morning we get some clear direction of how we're supposed to bring that about or why that's supposed to be a pattern in our life. We look at 2 Timothy chapter 3 here, and in 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're right in the middle of a message where the Apostle Paul is talking to this group of people saying, hey, there's trouble coming, there's already trouble there, however, with you, it's supposed to be different. So that's why when we start reading in verse 10, it starts with you, however. In other words, the Apostle Paul is saying, okay, I just got done talking about a group of people, but with you, it's supposed to be different. If we looked at the beginning of chapter 3, the first nine verses really focus on things that are going on around the world. So he gives a whole list of unhealthy um, vices, sins that are taking place. He talks about people being lovers of money, uh, abusive, arrogant, ungrateful, unholy, slanderous, without self-control, just this whole description. And then he says, you, however, it should be different. This is what's going on in the world, but with you it should be different. And then there's a really important spot to notice here, verse 13. Just underline this, highlight this, burn this into your mind. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. I'm surprised when Christians are surprised at how bad it is. There should be one group of people that's not surprised at all by how bad it is in the world. Christians, we've been told it's going to be bad, and we've been told it's only going to get worse. You've got to have realistic expectations. Thing, Things are not going to go well this next year. Okay, that's not a popular message thing. Things are not going to go well this next year. People are going to die. There's going to be more fathom. There's going to be more war. There's going to be more insecurity. There's going to be more sin and lawlessness. It's only going to get worse. We should go into the season knowing that. Yet here is the crazy thing. So, in the midst of God saying, hey, it's bad, it's going to get worse, here it is. However, with you, it should be a little different. The world is crazy. But with you, there should be a different consistency. And this is the key word, a different consistency. Look with me, if you would, at verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. So again, it's the contrast. Okay, it's going to get bad. However, with you, it should be consistent in one direction. If there's one word that should describe our life as a follower of Jesus consistent. Now, there's a book written by a pastor, Eugene Peterson, one time that really made a difference in the way I thought about just our Christian life. It's called Long Obedience in the Same Direction. The whole point of the book was as Christians, we should be going in one direction, one speed for a really long time. Thing, We should be the one consistent force in the universe. Now, consistency isn't exactly something that is found in a lot of us a lot of time or found in our society. But this is the issue. Are we consistent in our walk with Christ? This actually helps us understand one of the most difficult teachings in the New Testament. And this is where I'm going to take a little bit of a rabbit trail. So if you look back with me at chapter 3 in 2 Timothy, look with me at verse 5. At the end of verse 5, he's just finished this big list of stuff. And at the end of verse 5, he kind of now gives this harsh word, avoid such people. Okay, so God's word is saying there's people who love money, there's people who are pride, there's people who are arrogant, and then God says, avoid them. Well, now I know myself, I've had a time where I, moments where I love money. I have time where there's moments of arrogance, I have time where there's moments where I'm ungrateful or slanderous. So should you all be avoiding me? I'm sure if I went around the room this morning, I could find something on the list here for everyone here. So what do we do here? Avoid all. Is is God's Word being contradictory? The issue is consistency. Am I persisting in these behaviors? What we see in the New Testament taught is that as Christians, when we come to faith in Christ, We remain in the flesh that the Holy Spirit is given to us, but we remain in the flesh, and there's going to be a battle. We're going to continue to have sinful struggles in our life, but now we are free in Christ to pursue obedience to Christ. Now, when we're driving on the interstate with our family, my wife and child like to sleep in the car. So that means when I'm driving, I've got to pour my own Mountain Dew into the glass cup thing. So sometimes when doing that, you kind of swerve a little bit and you run into the little bumpers that are on the side, you know, that lets you know you're off the road. Now, whenever I do that, I always get the, uh, really thing, thing. I don't think I've ever done it intentionally. Thing, thing. Now, there is a big difference between me for 10 seconds swerving and hitting the bumpers and me taking the wheel, turning, driving, and staying on it For 60 miles. I think we would all agree that there is a big difference. That there's moments where all of us kind of go, I've got to get back thinking here on the road. And then, but that's way different than going there and staying there and just, I'm just going to stay in this spot. In 1 Corinthians 5, the Apostle Paul is a very similar passage of Scripture where actually he even gets a little bit harsher. He actually says, You need to dismiss those people. You need to get rid of those people. After the list, he basically says, not just avoid, but you need to dismiss them. The issue is, is someone persisting or being consistent in a behavior that's not in line with God's word. Because we as followers of Christ are supposed to be consistent in the other direction. There are going to be times where we slip. There are going to be times where, where we fall right back into a rut that we were in. But if we're persistently in that rut, that's a problem. So for example, let's say your boss likes to peel off a little early. Your boss leaves every day at 4.15. You're scheduled to work every day till 5. Your boss leaves at 4.15, though. Never going to know if you're gone, right? So you're like, eh, I'm going to take off at 4.20 today. Okay, let's say that happened. That happens once, okay. It happens once, you fell into temptation. But you're leaving every day now at 417 when your boss leaves at 415. That's a pattern, that's a problem. You are persistently going against, you're persistently doing wrong. Christ offers us and extends us and wants us to experience that forgiveness. That's why we have practiced confession in the Christian church even after we're forgiven in Christ. It says in the book of James chapter 5, confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. God wants to forgive us when there's those times where we slip or or move in the wrong direction. But God is very clear and very harsh when we persistently maintain in something that is against His word. And those outside the church are not going to understand this. This is the difference. Again, I want to take a rabbit trail to help us think through this, because these are cultural issues. So people talk to the church and say, well, the church doesn't say a, a pastor should be kicked out for, for being greedy, but a pastor should be kicked out for, for lifestyle A. Isn't that being inconsistent? Here's the difference. If I'm being greedy consistently, I should be removed from the pulpit thing. So it's But if I'm living in a lifestyle consistently, I should also be removed from the pulpit. But if I fall into greed once in a while, I should should confess and receive the forgiveness of sins. There's a major difference between persisting in it and falling into it and acknowledging that it's wrong. You see, I'm acknowledging that it's wrong when I fall into it once in a while. But if I start persisting in it and say, what's wrong with leaving work at 4:17?" Boss is leaving at 4.15. Now I'm not only leaving work early, but I'm also saying, there's nothing wrong with punching out at 4.17 and getting paid till I'm here till like I'm here till 5. You see the dilemma a little bit? That the issue is consistency. And what the Apostle Paul is calling us to here in 2 Timothy saying, hey, we want you to be consistent in what you have learned. Well, how about us today? Are we consistent? This last week on New Year's Day we were watching football with some of my nieces and nephews and we were making some um, chicken wings and stuff and I allowed my nieces and nephews to help with the the cooking. They like to be in the kitchen a little bit and so we were getting the spices on the chicken wings. I let them put the spice on the chicken wings. The problem is with how they put the spice on the chicken wings. It's kind of this motion rather than the kind of the consistent across the board. So then when you're eating the chicken wings what happens? you got a lot of just dullness. And then every once in a while, (coughs) good job kids with the good cooking thing. Right? There's flashes. There's moments, but there's no consistency at all. What God is calling us to is a life of consistency, long obedience in the same direction where we continue in what we have learned. So what are we continuing in? What are we being consistent with? We're being consistent with practicing the Word of God. And that's what the Apostle Paul does here in verse 15 through 17. He basically says, Okay, continue in what you have learned. What you have learned is the holy scriptures. Your writing, your scripture might say, your version might say sacred writings or scripture. Scripture simply means holy writings or sacred writings. So the people that received this letter had the Old Testament. They had received the Old Testament and had been trained in the Old Testament, so the Apostle Paul says, hey, continue in that because God orchestrated that. That's God's Word to you. So the reason that we are to practice God's Word is because of the one who's giving the Word, God Himself. If you haven't noticed, the Bible is a pretty big deal in the church. Everything we do is revolves around the Bible. Every Sunday we come together, what do we do? Sing praises, the songs, hopefully, are based off of Scripture. If they're, if they're not, we've got to have some conversations. Everything we talk about is based off of Scripture as an explanation of Scripture. The church is centered around the Bible. Why? Because we believe that the Bible is God-breathed. What I mean by that is this. God is the author of Scripture. What Scripture says, God says. Now, we're going to take the rest of time here to kind of understand that a little bit and flesh out some practical implications. So God wants us to be consistent in practicing his word, the scriptures. But notice the emphasis here in 2 Timothy chapter 3. I want you to notice what the emphasis is not on. The whole emphasis is on behavior and conduct. The apostle is not concerned at all about saying, hey, you don't have the right faith statement about the Bible. They're not concerned what they say we believe in an inerrant, infallible um, Scripture. That's not the issue. The issue is, are you practicing the Word of God? There's a lot of people going to a lot of churches that have the correct faith statement about the Bible. And the Apostle Paul would write the exact same thing to them and to us saying, Okay, okay. you got the right statement. That doesn't matter. The question is, are you being consistent in practicing what God's Word says? So we believe that the Bible is God's Word. Now, from there, it becomes a great mystery very quickly. And this is where we've got to get comfortable. We've got to be able to talk about this in the church. Notice it says here, Scripture breathed out by God. And then we could go look at some other places where it talks about the Holy Spirit inspiring the authors. But it gets in no more detail than that. I got no idea how it works. I don't know if an angel came and dropped a tablet in front of Paul in the middle of the night. I got no idea if an angel came and just whispered in Peter's ear the whole time that he was right. I don't know. We don't know. And we should say it, we don't know. We don't get into those details. What we do believe is that the author is God himself that God initiates and God brought about the Word. And we walk by faith. There's no way that you can logically and use reason to work out the exact inspiration of Scripture from God. Good luck. It won't work. Thing. What we do believe is that God is the author. How? We don't know exactly how. But we do know this, that Scripture is 100% God and 100% human. And this is just crazy. So scripture, we believe God gives to us through the apostles and the other people, it's 100% divine. What scripture says, God says. At the exact same time, it's 100% human. It's written in human language by human people. And this is the beauty of it. The divine, who we could never understand unless the divine made himself known. And the divine does make himself known through human means, words. Do you know anybody else or anyone else that's 100% divine and 100% human? Jesus. We teach that the word became flesh. Jesus is 100% God at the same time, 100% human. And scripture falls right in line. 100% God, 100% human, pushing us to Jesus who's 100% God, 100% human. So there's a great deal of mystery with Scripture, and we need to get comfortable with just saying there's a lot of mystery with Scripture. That when people attack the Bible, we don't need to get all in a fray. We don't need to go into the library and start trying to defend the way it was written or how it was, was written. We're not, that's not our job. Our job is simply to be obedient because of the author of it. So Scripture is 100% God, 100% human. It's written to us in ways in which we can understand. So the Scriptures, the Bible which we refer to that as is a big book, but yet at the same time it's not huge. You could read this all in 75 hours. You could read all of this if you just read 10 minutes a day for a whole year. And a lot of people are like, you know, I don't think so. Really, you You could. The issue is we're just not consistent enough to do it. So there's a big book. There's a lot of stuff in here and a lot of complicated stuff in here. So The question is, where should I start? What, what should I do to dig in? Let me just give a couple of thoughts on where we can start to dig into God's Word. There's three different spots I'd really encourage you to start in. Either A, start with Luke and Acts in the New Testament. Read all of Luke and then read Acts. It'll give you a good overview of Jesus, what's going on and how the church started or start with John and then read 1 John. It'll give you the basic teachings of Christianity. And then at the exact same time, I would encourage you, as you're starting Luke and Acts or you're starting John and 1 John, start with the book of Genesis in the Old Testament. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to have you read Genesis all the way through. Just focus on reading Genesis and Exodus, the first two books of the Bible. You don't have to read it all in a setting, a couple chapters a day while you're also reading maybe a couple of verses or chapter from the New Testament. You get done with Exodus, you've got a good understanding of how God initiated things, of the history that gets talked a lot about in the New Testament. Now, here's where people get in a real pickle. They get to the end of Exodus, and it's kind of been exciting watching all this stuff play out, and then it's like, oh boy, we get into Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, and you're like, where to bury what thing? It's just, You know what? Skip right over Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy for a little while. Numbers is actually one of the coolest books to read. You see the faithfulness of God just shine right through in it. At the same time, though, it's not exactly necessary at this exact moment to, to command it. So go right from Exodus, maybe go to Joshua, and then Judges, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, and then one of the major prophets, Isaiah or Jeremiah. What you don't want to do is read Genesis through the end and think that you're reading something in a historical timeline. The Old Testament is not put together like a book like we put together, where everything's in chronological order. So, for example, the book of Job, we got no idea who Job was or when Job was written. Job may have been the exact same time as Adam and Eve. Job may. Have, we don't know. thing. So you start reading Job, you might be like, oh, what in the world? Where's King David at? I just was reading about, you're going to get lost. So don't think you're reading in chronological order. The book of Nehemiah that we read from earlier today is actually should be at the end of the Old Testament because it's getting to the close of what we know as the Old Testament, period. So again, it's not in chronological order. Thing. So don't read through it in chronological order and be like, I'm so confused of what's going on. You're going to be confused Thing. if you do it that way. So I encourage you, start in with Luke or Acts, John or 1 John, at the same time, Genesis and Exodus. I think the big issue that we need to spend just a few moments on this morning is what about the contradictions in the Bible? Again, I think we need to talk about that here thing, so we're ready to talk about it out there. And folks, I don't mean to cast doubt on your faith this morning. There are contradictions in the Bible. So let me just give you an example, and I don't do this, to, I'm not trying to shed doubt at all. If you went home today and read the Last Supper and the different Gospels and the recordings of what Jesus says at the Last Supper, you would find that Jesus says different things according to different authors at the Last Supper. Okay, Jesus did not break the bread four different times and say four different things. Jesus did not raise the cup four different times and say four different things. If I take the Bible at its word Jesus says four different things or three or five different things even if you include 1 Corinthians and a couple of other spots. So what do we do? Thing, is there a contradiction there? Well, where we've got ourselves in trouble is this word literal. So, we teach that we believe we take we take the Bible literal at its teaching. Literal at its teaching is taking the Bible differently than literal at its word. So for example, if I say to you, hey, I'll be there in just a second. I mean, I said I'll be there in just a second. What do I mean when I say I'll be there in just a second? As soon as possible, I will be there. But hey, if you're going to take me literally at my word, I've got one second to get there, right? We would all agree. I don't mean I'm going to be there in one second. Second, So what we believe is we believe that we take the Bible literally at what it's teaching. So when Jesus is giving the final supper, we believe that He's teaching that it's His body and His, his blood given for the forgiveness of our sins. Our faith, our hope for eternity is not dependent upon exactly what Jesus said in that sentence. If we take the Bible literally, Word for word, and rather than what it's teaching, then God believes in a flat earth. Okay, it's pretty clear. I think there's agreement on Christian scientists and secular scientists that the earth is not flat. Thing. Well, does God not know that? Well, God is teaching us something different when he says the armies are coming from the four corners of earth. He's teaching us that there's going to be military and there's going to be fighting... Covering everything. Again, you can get yourself in a serious dilemma thing if you start down that path. Now, this does mean this it takes a little bit more work to understand what it's teaching rather than just taking it at its right, what it says. And I would contend this morning there's nobody in this room that takes the Bible literally word for word. Otherwise, you're all hypocrites. Because there's a lot of things being taught in there that. Some of you aren't doing right now. Not taught, but said in there. So we want to very much clarify that we take the Bible literally at what's being taught, not what's being said. What's being said is words being used to teach us. There's other contradictions too in Scripture. One of the big ones that's pushed right now uh, big time and that's really challenging the church, and the church is just crumbling too, and that is that in the Old Testament, people had multiple wives. Right? I mean, King David and Solomon and other people who we lift up on a, on a spectacle, people that we say are heroes, people that we encourage our kids to be like. Think, if you really read about these people, you wouldn't want your son or daughter or anything like them. Multiple wives, concubines, which means just woman, sex friend in a very simple sense. Okay. That's in the Bible. And that's happening with people that God was using for his purposes. Well, then Jesus comes along and Jesus says what? One man and one woman. And Jesus is very clear on this. Multiple different times, Jesus is succinct and very clear on this. Well, is that a contradiction then? I mean, is Jesus contradicting his father? Is Jesus contradicting what's in the rest of God's word? No. Here's a major difference. When God gives us his word in the Old Testament, God gives us reality as it happened. So he doesn't hide anything. It's not like he told the authors, hey, don't tell them about David's sin with Bathsheba. He just puts it right in there. This is what happened. God didn't command David, hey, go commit adultery with Bathsheba. He just gives us a narrative of what happened. Narrative is not normative. What that means is if it's described as happening, that doesn't mean it's a prescription for all of us to do as well. Right? Because there's a lot of interesting narrative in the Bible. That's not a prescription for us to go out and do it. It's God telling us what happened. And sometimes it's God's people being unfaithful to God. So we've got to distinguish between narrative of what happened and God's teaching which should be normative for our lives. Be prepared for these contradictions. Be prepared for these types of things coming at us when we say we're people of the book. But we've got to be comfortable. Not comfortable in that we can scientifically get everything to match up in the book. But we've got to get comfortable in the author of the book and the truths that the book points to. So for example, nothing can change the fact that Jesus died on the cross Jesus rose from the grave. Nothing changes the fact that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If there's a little historical misfact fact in the Old Testament somewhere about something, they find some bones somewhere, that okay thing, it's not end of the world at all. My faith doesn't change one bit. God is still God. Jesus is still King. This morning, God is asking us, to become people of the book. And why is God asking us to become people of the book? Because God wants us to be people who practice his words. This is the whole point in Matthew chapter 7 that we read earlier, where Jesus says, hey, some of you aren't going to be in the kingdom of heaven. Some of you who said, Lord, Lord, aren't going to be in my presence. And Jesus just says it very plainly. And then Jesus goes and gives the famous message that we use with our children, right? Build your house upon the rock. What's the whole point of Jesus' message, build your house on the rock? Practicing God's word. Those who build their house on the rock are people who practice God's word. This morning, Jesus wants us to be practitioners of his word. That's why we've got to become people of the book, because it's in the book where we find God's word to us. This morning, I don't have a challenge for you to make a resolution. We don't need any more resolutions. We all know how those go. What we need is a plan and a partner. This is my practical advice for all of us here this morning. We need a plan and a partner. First, a plan for how am I going to read the Bible. The goal is not to read it all in a year. If you do, fabulous. The goal is to get into God's Word so I can know God's desire for my life. I want to have a plan. How am I going to do it? We we plan for everything else. we got people that are planning for retirement. They put a lot of time into it. I'll tell you what. Retirement's important. Faithfulness to God is way more. Trump's that, hands down. We plan our family vacations. Go online, get the best tickets, plan out the trips, where we're going to go, when we're going to go, da-da-da-da-da. We plan for that. But do we plan for how we're going to pursue implementing God's desires in our lives? This morning, I'm just going to believe the best in all of you, that you want what God wants for your life. If you want God's desires in your life, it begins by pursuing God through the pursuit of His Word. Pastor and author N.T. Wright says this, We live under Scripture because that is the way we live under the authority of God. We live under Scripture because that is the way we live under the authority of God. If you say that you're being faithful to God today and go out and neglect Scripture, there's no way you're being faithful to God because we only know God through the Scripture. There is a great opportunity before us. An opportunity to be consistent. An opportunity to be trees that bear good fruit. This morning, I would contend that everybody in here wants to be a tree that bears good fruit. Everybody in here wants to be a tree that brings life to other people. How do we become that tree? Well, 2 Timothy tells us that we become that tree by God's Word, correcting us and training us in righteousness so that we go out and bear good works. You can think of God's Word as the ultimate tree pruner. God's word here is here to prune us. God's word is here to shape us into people who reflect his desires for the world around us. This morning, I invite you not to make a resolution, but to make a plan of how you're going to read God's word, but then also to find a partner. Find a partner because none of us can do it alone. I'm not saying someone that you have to read the Bible with every day, but someone that you're going to meet with every week or every other week, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, you just read a passage together, pray together, maybe just say, hey, this is what I've been reading, this is where I'm confused, how do I implement this, da, 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 da. It's not Bible in me. It's a community project. It takes a village. Hillary Clinton was not the first person to come up with that thing. It comes from God's Word that we are created for community. We are created to be one with one another. And that begins by studying God's Word together and sharpening one another on this journey. If you want to be consistent And you want to bear good fruit, you're going to need a partner. None of us are strong enough alone. Find someone that you can partner with, encourage, and allow them to encourage you. I'm guessing that the majority of you would call me a fool if I got in my car today and started driving to Mexico and said, I'm not taking any gas money with. I'm going to get there. That CRV is amazing. Everybody here would say, fool, you want the car to run? Put gas in it. You want to get to your destination? Put gas in it. We would all agree on that, believe in that, and say that. This morning, all of us are on a journey to a desired destination. That destination being the life that God wants us to have. We would be fools if we didn't take God's word and put it into our lives for there's no other way to get to the desired destination. What a gift God has given us. First, His Son, Jesus the Christ. We did nothing to earn it. God just sent His Son, Jesus, to die for us. And now another gift, the Scriptures. God didn't have to give it to us, but He gave us words that we could understand so that we could know what He wants for our lives. Let's journey together. Let's allow our lives to have patterns that reflect the desires of God, because we are practitioners of God's word. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you this morning for your word. We recognize, God, that complicated. Just We acknowledge, God, there's a lot we don't understand. We acknowledge that sometimes we've neglected your word. We acknowledge that uh, other times we've simply stompled on your word by the way we've acted or what we've said. God, I pray now for each heart and mind in this room that you would instill a passion and a desire for your word. I also pray right now, God, that you'd put someone on each of our hearts or our minds that we could have as a partner. God, I pray for anyone in here this morning that doesn't know someone. I pray that you'd bring them into contact, give them a divine appointment with someone that can be a partner in studying your word together. God, we thank you for your patience with us. We thank you for your gifts and your promises. In Jesus' name, amen.